to The Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Hi, and happy Tuesday morning to you. It's nine minutes after nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning. Sun is shining brightly after the crazy rains we had a couple of days ago. It's nice to see the sun back out, although it's going to be warm. Warm here, but uh, I've got a doctor... Uh, Elizabeth Lee Vleet's on the phone, and uh, it's going to be warmer where you are. Is that right? It sure is, Andy. <laughs> are you in the Phoenix area? I saw Arizona is what all I saw. Down in Tucson. Oh, Tucson, we'll okay. Get 100, 103 today. Oh, we're going to be right there with you. We're, we're I think our, our high is forecasted for 104, so we're going to be right there with you. Okay. okay. Yeah, St. George is beautiful. I love your... Your city. I was there with my husband a few years ago. Yes, I, 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 it is. It's a wonderful place. I've been here uh, going on twenty-seven years now, Doctor. And uh, I don't. I actually. I remember when I moved here. I was a young journalist, and I was trying to move. Uh, kind of. You know. You know how you do young in your your career. You're trying to move your way up the ladder. And uh, I told my wife. I said. Uh, I said. I, I. I have some job opportunities elsewhere. And she said, Well, you can take them, but I'm staying here. And so I decided to stay with her. <laughs> I think that was good. Uh, good. Sounds like you've had a had a wonderful time there. Yeah, for you, sure. Did you raise five kids? That's a that's a big job. Yeah. Well, I guess I raised four and a half. And one. I've still got a teenager at home, so I'm not quite done yet. Oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> Well, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would, uh, kind of your specialties and and uh, you know what, what it is you do, doctor. Well, I I specialize in preventive and climacteric medicine, which gets into an integrated approach to endocrine aging from puberty through late life. I see adolescents as well as older people and look at how what we can do to help reduce risk factors for diseases, part that's the preventive medicine and partly why I've been doing so much work with COVID. What can we do to be healthier and prevent getting sick? And what do we do to prevent a viral illness early and help keep people out of the hospital? And then I work a lot with the ways that hormone changes for men and women affect many different organ systems, not just reproduction and sex. And look at ways that we can help people identify some of these overlooked connections for i'll give you a quick example mm-hmm. um, women for example often fall between the cracks because migraines are known to be triggered by changes in hormone levels during the menstrual cycle mm-hmm. but gynecologists don't deal with headaches and neurologists don't deal with hormones right so my work connects the dots and puts them together and I take approaches to check what's happening with the hormones and stabilize things to help reduce migraines. Sounds sounds like it, it, it it's something that's desperately needed in in uh, fields. You know, I had some uh, back issues a few years ago, and uh, you know, I, I had to see an orthopedist and a rheumatologist, and uh, I mean, I, I saw a neurologist. I mean, I saw just about everybody that you could think of, and I mean, you were you're dead right about that. That that they didn't really they didn't overlap into each other's area. And so I really felt like everybody had their own opinion, but nobody could put the whole puzzle together. Well, you're exactly right. And that's what I do. Connect the dots. I I really, it's, it's, I think God wove this tapestry Mm 
because this specialty in the U.S. doesn't really exist as a separate specialty. Mm-hmm. Everybody is specialized by body parts or organ systems. Right. And you're right. They don't overlap. But the endocrine system connects everything in our body. My first book was was screaming to be heard, Hormone Connections, Women Suspect and Doctors Ignore. And my publisher said, well, Lee, if you write that book with that title, the doctors are going to hate you, but the, <laughs> but the people will love you. And I said, well, doctors don't listen to the women, so I'm writing for the women and that book is still out there and still in hardback because it just keeps parking along and it answers a lot of questions for women. And then I did one called It's My Ovary Stupid, and that <laughs> that got a fair amount of attention. Yeah, so, great title. Great title for sure. I, I, I think, too, I mean, I, I love the fact that you address, we, we think about aging, you know, you think about menopause and you think about, you know, men and, and, and the things they go through, but we don't really talk about all the effects that aging has on all of, as you, like you said earlier, all of our, our organ systems and, and the development of our bodies. And uh, that's something that is, uh, is sorely lacking, I think, out there in the medical industry is someone to help put it all together for us. Well, you're you're right, and what we have been told is simple: is aging is not inevitable as a result of chronologically getting older. It's it's partly the result of how we live our lives and how we take care of our bodies, of course. But it's also related to the loss of the metabolic effects and the brain effects of testosterone for men and estrogen for women, and so. If you're losing those key metabolic hormones that have many functions in the body beyond just sex drive for men and reproduction for women, it, it really, that takes a toll that is preventable. I mean, people get thyroid replaced when it's declining, but nobody looks at what the effects are of losing estrogen for women and testosterone for men. It, it's a, It's really frustrating because... Men, as they lose their testosterone, are actually increasing their risk of getting middle body fat and developing cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and, and other complications of losing the beneficial metabolic effects of testosterone. They lose bone. They lose muscle mass. They are at higher risk of prostate cancer if testosterone is low, not the other way around as Americans get taught. So I've been going to the international conferences for 25 years, and that's where a lot of the research in this field is is presented, and that's where doctors are really working with the whole person in that way. So d- does that mean, doctor, that uh, women should be taking estrogen and men should be taking testosterone as, as part of their uh, aging process? Well, we don't we don't ever make general recommendations for sure. everybody. Sure. And it, it, it people need to be evaluated and look at what is happening to their health risk and how the hormone changes contribute to those health risks. And then you decide and you talk with the patient. I mean, women have been taught wrongly that estrogen causes breast cancer. Well, it doesn't. Estrogen alone, if you've had a hysterectomy. Actually, women have a 60% lower risk of breast cancer if they're taking estrogen after a hysterectomy than women who don't take estrogen, but you're not told that. 
that study was presented 12 years ago in the international literature, and it was from the same group of women in the U.S. that they falsely claimed estrogen caused cancer. So it, there's a lot of misinformation, just like there's a lot of misinformation about testosterone for men and estrogen for women, just exactly like there's a lot of wrong information being put out there now about hydroxychloroquine as a, an early therapy for COVID. And you, that, the parallels are very similar. You, you are a great interview because what you're doing is you're answering the questions before I ask them. I love it. Um, I was going to segue <laughs> right into hydroxychloroquine. Now, I, I will tell you this. As I was preparing for today's show, I did, of course, what everyone does when you're lo- looking into something. You do a Google search on on hydroxychloroquine. And oh, I, yes. would, I would say 9 out of 10 of the linked articles on hydroxychloroquine were it doesn't work. Don't take it. It's a myth. You shouldn't. It, it's not working. It's, you know, President Trump's a fool, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When you found that actually there are there are uh, reasons to take hydroxychloroquine. Well, there, there's no question that it works. This is an orchestrated war on hydroxychloroquine mm. to protect other uh, therapies and vaccines and the profits from those in in large part similar to the war on estrogen that took place in 2002 when the head of NIH at the time was trying to protect statin therapy as a first-line medicine for cardiovascular disease and he deliberately just he, he deliberately covered up the positive data mm-hmm. about estrogen and its benefits in lowering cholesterol and blood pressure and reducing the risk of heart disease in women. So there are a lot of parallels that special interests and financial interests and political agendas drive the medical way that it's presented to the public. But hydroxychloroquine was known 18 years ago to work well as an antiviral. The studies were done at NIH and CDC when SARS-CoV-1 was spread around the world from China in 2002, 2003, and we had so many people dying of SARS. And that was a coronavirus. It's called technically SARS-CoV-1, and COVID-19 is SARS-CoV-2. They are very similar viruses. Mm -hmm. They share about 78% of the viral genome, so they're very similar viruses, and they have similar effects in the body. So in 2002, CDC did a study with Montreal Research Institute, and they showed unequivocally in cell cultures that hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine together, their sister drugs, blocked the virus from attaching to the receptor on your cells that the virus uses to enter the cell. It's kind of like a doorknob that you turn to get into your home. The the virus attaches to that doorknob and that opens the cell and the virus enters the cell. Mm -hmm. Once the virus enters the cell, it then uses your cell machinery to replicate itself, to multiply and overwhelm the body. Well, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine 
block the entry and then they block the virus from replicating and by facilitating zinc getting across the cell membrane zinc and chloroquine or zinc and hydroxychloroquine then stop the virus from multiplying so you can quickly see that it's like the analog the analogy of somebody breaking into your house if you have a lock on the door and they don't get in, then they may go to another house. If you have an alarm system, when they do get in, then they get scared away. Well, if you don't do either of those things, they get in and do all sorts of damage and steal all your things and leave, and you're you're damaged. Yeah. Well, the virus is pretty much the same thing. If you have hydroxychloroquine on board with zinc, then you have stopped the virus from getting into the cells and spreading, and you don't get so sick. That's what all of the studies worldwide have been showing clearly and unequivocally since the beginning of COVID. In fact, the Chinese started using it right away when it broke out in their country, and Chinese doctors began posting that success online and sharing it with doctors in South Korea, who was also hard hit pretty early. And that was one of the reasons South Korea got on top of their pandemic outbreak so fast. They, it wasn't just the mask and the social distancing, like Dr. Fauci said. It's because they were using hydroxychloroquine guided by the Chinese who knew it worked. And then India started using it early and quickly. And all of those countries began using it as prophylaxis or preventive approaches to help keep their healthcare workers and exposed family members from getting sick. And they reduced the death rate very quickly. And the thing that your listeners need to understand about the problem in the United States and why our death rate is so extraordinarily high, Mm -hmm. we are essentially now the highest death rate in the world, and yet we have the most sophisticated medical system. And the reason is very simple. The United States, the U.K., and Canada, and France, and Germany in particular, all adopted the model of sending people home to wait till they got sicker and then admitting them to the hospital and then treating. We, were tre- we have been treating at end-stage critical illness for COVID. The secret of treatment to any viral illness, and in fact, most diseases in general, your listeners have common sense, they, they understand this, you treat a disease early, you treat cancer early. It doesn't Catch it spread. early. Yeah, exactly. You treat disease, herpes or shingles or the flu, you treat it early. Tamiflu has to be given in the first 48 hours. So does hydroxychloroquine. And so by denying access and by threatening primary care doctors, we have not been using outpatient early home-based treatment the way other countries have been doing. And our hospitalization rates were through the roof. That's not the case in the other countries. If you look at the worldwide data, all of the countries that are treating people early with hydroxychloroquine and some other medicines, they'll... They'll use hydroxychloroquine with zinc and azithromycin or doxycycline. South America is using a fair amount of ivermectin. And then if people get into respiratory problems, 
at which occurs around day six or seven of the symptom progression, then you might add inhaled corticosteroids or oral corticosteroids. So there, there's, a, there's a progression of the illness. There's a sequence of therapies that work at different stages of the illness. Hydroxychloroquine works at the beginning, and particularly well, it, you have to, if you add zinc, because it needs zinc for the two of them to work together. Mm -hmm. And in the middle, you may need to add something to help with the inflammation that's affecting the lungs and breathing, like the corticosteroids people read about. And at late stage, then you're getting into the inflammation damage that is damaging the heart and the lungs and the kidneys and the brain, for example. And that's when people are in the hospital, often going into the ICU and then getting on ventilators, that's when none of the antiviral medicines work very well because at that point it's not really the virus that's causing the problem. It's all of the inflammation spreading throughout the body and causing that damage, and that gets into the fact that then you need potent anti-inflammatories and you need the medicines to prevent the blood clots that start occurring in the cascade of damage that occurs with inflammation. End-stage hospitalization illness in COVID is a very different animal from the beginning of COVID, which is when all of us speaking out about hydroxychloroquine have been saying we've got to treat people early. But it quickly became politicized in the U.S. Yeah. when President Trump presented, I think it was late February, beginning of March, at the press conference, I heard his press conference, and he was right. I've been reading the same medical data coming in from other countries, so had a lot of doctors. And he was correct when he said hydroxychloroquine offered hope. It did, because that's what was working in China and India and South Korea at that point. And then everybody jumped on it and criticized the president, and we had Democrat governors lead the way to restrict hydroxychloroquine. Now, they're not medically trained. They should not be interfering with our normal prescriptive authority under the FDA regulations that let us prescribe off-label. You know, hydroxychloroquine has been approved for 65 years for malaria, lupus, and rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. Doctors, use, half the drugs we use in the United States, doctors are using every day off-label for a new use to help a patient with something we think will work, even though it was initially approved for something else. That's done all the time, and it's done in lots of common medicines. Gabapentin is one um, that people know, and there are dozens of medicines. In fact, 20% of our prescriptions are written off-label for a new use. That's what clinical medicine is all about. Yeah. So the governor stepped in and overrode our legal off-label prescriptive authority and then started getting other governors on board and the medical boards and the pharmacy boards. And before you knew it, we had gross, just gross political interference with doctors being able to be doctors and evaluate their patient and decide what the patient needed. Nobody in medicine who's treating patients is saying, we should give everybody hydroxychloroquine or hydroxychloroquine is going to work for everybody. What we've been saying all along is 
we need all the tools at our disposal. We need to use them early. We need to treat COVID at home, get people, keep people out of the hospital, keep them from getting so sick when they're critically ill and then at very high risk of dying because of all of the damage from the inflammatory cascade that is triggered by this virus. It, it makes me... Uh, ...and let patients and their doctors make the decisions that are right for the individual. As, as an individual doctor, it makes me want to scream that this has happened, and I imagine as a doctor it makes you want to scream even more that this has oh, happened. Is, is it money then, or is it politics, or is it both that has is, that is, uh, put the kibosh, kibosh on this? What has cost American lives over 100,000 lives, needless deaths, estimated by Dr. Harvey Risch, the Yale professor of epidemiology who's been speaking out on this, has been a combination of political agendas to discredit the president, interrupt the process of the election year, and keep people locked down and harm the economy, and financial agendas, the vaccine windfall that is potentially going to be possible is staggering. The federal government invested $10 billion of taxpayer money into the NIH, CDC, FDA, and the pharmaceutical companies and the biotech companies to develop a vaccine rapidly more faster than any time in our history and so all of these big companies all of the three-letter agencies who also make money this is not just big pharma and your listeners need to understand that the fda and the nih and the cdc all allow individual researchers employees government employees to if they develop something that becomes a patent, they get some of the patent royalty as well. So entrenched bureaucrats and researchers, the agency itself is part of the patent owner when they develop a vaccine. They get money. And CDC is not really a government agency. It's a not-for-profit company that has a lot of government contracts. There's a difference. So... They stand to make money on it. Big Pharma stands to make money on it. And and what's also very interesting, which Dr. Peter McCullough has talked about in his editorials, your listeners can read Dr. McCullough's editorials on thehill.com. His latest one is the COVID-19 vaccine gamble, and I really encourage people to read that okay. because it helps show you what some of the financial and political agendas are. But if you connect the dots, guess which countries have the worst death rates and the least access to hydroxychloroquine? It's the wealthy countries where the vaccine market can make the most money. The third world countries, they left them alone. They are using hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and the other cheap available generic drugs. They're treating people at home. They are not they are not having the death rates we are, but they're not a lucrative vaccine market either. Wow. Wow. It does. Uh, but it sounds so frustrating. I guess real quick, I, I've got some guests coming in, Dr. Vliet, but uh, can we get hydroxychloroquine now? If I were to go to my doctor and he said, it looks like you've, uh, you've got COVID-19, would he be able to prescribe that for me? 
Well, he should be able to. Utah, you have to check into what the governor's orders were for Utah. 46 of the 50 state governors did sign on board. Uh, and I think that was probably orchestrated by some of the um, political agendas, maybe a entrenched bureaucrat at the FDA. I'm speculating on that because it yeah. was too coordinated and too fast that all 46 jumped on board. And I don't remember off the top of my head where Utah stood, but there are telemedicine services, speakwithanmd.com. There are several others that people can do telemedicine interview, have a medical interview with a licensed doctor, and then if it's appropriate to do the medication, they can order it and it's shipped to the patient. But everybody out there needs to read the editorial that I just wrote yesterday with new news. It's posted on AmericaOutloud.com, and in that editorial is the link to a very detailed medical paper by Dr. Peter McCullough and a team of specialists across the country who have written the rationale for home-based treatment and have written the rationale and referenced the medicines that are useful to treat people at home and keep them out of the hospital. That's a powerful article. I just got access to that last night. It's up on that editorial. And our legal brief that AAPS has filed to get an emergency injunction to release the 60 million doses of hydroxychloroquine in the national stockpile. That was filed last Friday, and the link to that legal brief is in the editorial I wrote and up on America Out Loud. Now, you're welcome to put go to that website and grab that link to my editorial. It's, a, it's easy to see because it's a big, bold graphic that says FDA approved with a big red um, no on top of it. And grab that editorial and link and post it on your website. We'll and so your listeners come there and read it. But they need the references in that editorial, and they need to start pushing their doctors to stand up and speak out for what medical options can be available between the doctor and the patient at home in the community treated early that's key all right dr Vliet, thank you so much we're out of time you've been very enlightening and very explosive in my mind we need to make sure that this happens thank you again for coming on well, i'll come back if you want to do more take care absolutely love to have you again thank you dr lee vleet uh, americaoutloud.com is the place to go if you want to read her editorial man it's unbelievable that money and politics are basically killing people it's unbelievable time to uh, check in with weather now we have southern utah's most accurate and dependable forecast here on kdxu I'm ABC4 News meteorologist Erica Martine. Happy Tuesday. Make it a great day. We're seeing a mix of sun and few clouds out there. St. George, a high of 104. Enjoy your day. Overnight lows in the upper 70s. Cedar City seeing upper 80s to low 90s for you. A nice week ahead with cooler temperatures by the end of the week. With Southern Utah's most accurate and dependable forecast, I'm ABC4 News meteorologist Erica Martine. Interior, exterior stain and wood finish paint, windows, mirrors, doors, and more. Even cracked windshields. When you hear the crash, think of Jones Paint and Glass. 
83 degrees right now in St. George. Same in Hurricane Mesquite's in the 90s already at 92 degrees in Cedar. It's even warm there. It's uh, 79 degrees right now in Cedar. The five-day, again, uh, sunny, 104 really for the rest of the week for highs and 75 for the lows right in there. But a storm perhaps is uh, on the horizon Saturday. They're saying we could get that storm. We'll be right back. We've got uh, Chief Kyle Whitehead of the St. George Police Department. Tiffany Atkin is here as well right after this quick break. Real quick. I want to thank Joe Shoney. He's a local loan consultant. His focus is customer service. Give him a call today at 435-590-6300. Nobody on the Internet uh, gets reviews like this guy has. Uh, 417 reviews and an average of 4.92 out of 5 stars. Phenomenal numbers. It's Joe Shoney, 435-590-6300. This is the Andy Griffin Show. It's 940. I'm sorry for the late start, but we do have a St. George's Finest on the air. It's Tiffany Atkin, the public information officer for St. George PD is here. And the brand new crowned, not crowned, I guess, but the brand new pinned uh, chief of police, Kyle Whitehead. I can't see you, Kyle. You're over there somewhere, but uh, thank you Just for coming Just the way he likes in. it. He likes to hide behind In the screen. background. <laughs> Hey, thanks for coming on, and congratulations as they remove the interim from your title of uh, Chief of Police. You are now officially the Police Chief. Thank you. I'm really excited. Like I say, not a lot's changed since, uh, I think it was last Thursday that they made it official. But, uh, you know, I've been in place for the last five months and really looking forward to just continuing the good work that we're doing. And, again, I can't take uh, credit for the, for our outstanding police department. We have so many great uh, men and women that work in our department, and it's it's just phenomenal. I'm I'm blessed to be a part of it. I'm I'm curious. I don't know that I've ever had a job where I was interim. I've had jobs where I was, you know, what do they do that like the the training period or whatever the probation period? What is when you're, when you're first starting? But I've never had a job where I was the interim. Was there uh, some nervousness involved with that, or were you just like, yeah, I'm just going to do it until they tell me not to? Yeah, that was kind of the approach. I mean, at times it felt like, uh, you know. There was some uncertainty at times. I, I was uh, felt, you know, where are we going with this? Uh, I think the best way to describe it was kind of like the spare tire, um, where it wasn't official. There were some decisions that I didn't really want to implement or, or make because I felt that it import be, that it would be important for the permanent chief to, to make those calls uh, as far as the department goes. And so there were some things that I was a little hesitant to do, uh, but now with that interim title removed, we'll we'll move forward and just doing a good job. Tiffany, has anything changed at the police department in, in the last week since he was named uh, the official head, uh, head uh, the, the official chief, or is it business as usual? It's business as usual, again, but it's kind of exciting because now, like, we've been talking about things we want to get going on, and mm-hmm. now we can do that. But we do have a new deputy chief, so that's exciting also. Now, who's that? Um, Thad Feltner. Okay. Yep, Deputy Chief Thad Feltner. So very, very cool. We're excited about that. So yeah, now it's exciting. We get to we're gonna get we're gonna get to work. One of the things that uh, that uh, we've talked about many times on this program is a shortage of police officers. Does St. George have enough police officers right now? No, in fact, we're hiring right now, so we're we're really excited about that. So we just kind of changed the hiring for certified officers. That it used to be there's two blocks to. Um, to becoming a police officer, there's the SFO and the LEO block. And before you had you, to... You better explain those letters. 
<laughs> basically, one is the uh, basic training uh, that you need to, if you're going into corrections or, right. or anything law enforcement. That's and the, the SFO. The LEO block is if you want to be an actual police officer out on, on the, the street. street. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it used to be that you had, if you had completed the SFO and you were started in the LEO, that um, you could apply with us. And now you can have just started your SFO training. Um, and you're able to apply with us as a certified officer. So we're excited about that. So anyone that's in that, they're in reach of our voice and they're interested in working for the greatest department in Utah, then come apply with us. And if they have questions, they can reach out to us. What me. she meant to say was the greatest department in the world. In the but, world. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to get okay. too braggy. You know, you got to have <laughs> some humbleness, right? So, you know, there's this joke, you know, you, you see maybe a video on the Internet or something, and it shows a police officer. He's got a big old beer belly, and he's trying to chase down, you know, a 19-year-old uh, uh, suspect who's who's sprinting, who's doing a 4-5-40, you know, and you're like, there's no way that guy's ever going to catch him. And so the joke is, well, they kind of let the, uh, the, the physical tests go <laughs> at a certain age and i'm wondering is there any truth to that or is it i mean do you have to do you have to uh, chief whitehead do you have to qualify and everything i do anybody sworn in the police department any sworn position uh, we have a mandatory fitness test uh, we test twice a year twice a year mm-hmm. wow. yes and uh, there's certain criteria that we have to meet to be able to maintain our job uh, with st george and it's it's really been beneficial we've been going on this program now for i think close to 15 years Mm -hmm. and it's really uh paid dividends uh you know as far as officers health and their well-being and it's it's just outstanding Um, we want to continue to make that a, a priority with our agency so I, I'm seeing that that comes in direct conflict with the cliche that police officers like donuts because well, if you have a donut but you've got a physical test coming up, yeah, uh, you're going to have to work pretty hard. Personally, I I still like donuts. I'll, <laughs> I'll admit it. I probably shouldn't on the air, but I just say it's my motivation. I'm going to eat this donut because it's going to make me work harder tomorrow at the gym because I know oh, I ate it. No motivation, it? Huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. That, that's good. That's good. All right. Uh, Chief of Police Kyle Whitehead, does that sound good that we can take that interim off there? Does that feel good? Sure. I, uh, To be honest with you, I prefer just to be called Kyle, though. I'm, oh. like I say, just a pretty plain guy. And, and uh, yeah, I'm just one position of many at the department. And, and But, yeah, oh, call me what, what you'd like. How big is the department now, the St. George Police Department? We have 120 positions, sworn positions. Wow. Uh, total with our civilian staff, probably close to 160. And so it's it's a large department that includes our communications, our dispatch as well. And, and, so, and you've been with the police department, uh, St. George Police Department how long? 20, uh, 20 years now. It'll be 21 wow. years in November. It seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, when I first moved here, it seems like there was a jail in St. George, too. Is that true? Yes. So we have, uh, the city now has two main city buildings. There's the main city hall, and then across the street in the old district courthouse is our city commons building. Uh, In the basement of that building used to be the Washington County Jail before they moved out to Purgatory in Hurricane. Right. That's, That's where the jail was. And then before that... There was a jail, I believe, behind the old fire station number two on Main Street. There's a, a white building uh, that was the jail there. And then before that, I'm probably going to get this wrong, I believe, there was one in Ancestor Square. Wow. And, yeah. I'd, I'd I have, have to, changed. Yeah, times have changed. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I'm trying to think where that one would have been in Ancestor Square, maybe in one of those restaurants. Well, and maybe someone that's here listening can tell us. It's been here long enough to know. I don't know. We do have a caller on the line. If you guys want to take a call, are you okay with that? All right, caller, you're on with Annie with new Chief of Police, Kyle Whitehead. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, the old jail would be in the center of Ancestor Square, if I'm not mistaken. A little what? rock building right in the middle there. That's but, what I was wondering. So I got a question. Who's smarter, firefighters or cops? <laughs> well, it probably depends. I, 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 do you, do you, your brother's a firefighter, is he not? He is, yes. Okay. Uh, where did your mom go wrong then? Was a firefighter or <laughs> oh. the cop? Oh. Gotta ask. I'm just kidding. I've known you guys a long time. This is Adam Sharp. I you used to be in my ward a long time ago when you first started being a cop. So oh. down on, uh, on Southwind. Yeah, I remember you, Adam. So. I, yeah, I just I want to call and say hi and congratulations to you, bud. I think I think we so, need to get a, an answer to your question, though, Adam. I, I think we need to know I who's smarter, a cop or a, or a firefighter. A well, firefighter. So I, I, I and, and I will say this: I was uh, I did volunteer with uh, two fire departments, St. George and uh, Santa Clara Fire Department, for about fifteen years, and so I you know I've been on that side a little bit. I guess if you can call it a side, it's all public safety. You've uh, done, done well. Like Craig Bennett is a former firefighter, our, our newsman here at KDXU, and he would tell you, I'm sure, that it's firefighters. Yeah, uh, I, I would have to say it depends on what uh, you're looking for. You know, if you're talking fires and uh, pressures and things like that, then probably firefighters are smarter. But if it comes to, you know, more police-related stuff, I, I, think, I think it's equal. Maybe maybe we should go with what's who's better looking, firefighters or policemen? Yeah, I I think. See, you're gonna get us in trouble. <laughs> Those are some tough and there questions. Are, there are brothers too, brothers and sisters too. That's we're, right. We're a pretty tight knit group, and so it would be unfair for us to. I mean, maybe he could say it because his brother's a fireman, but. Well, I, you know, we're, we're kidding around, obviously, but um, we had a situation just a couple of nights ago. Uh, rain came down uh, anywhere from three quarters of an inch to two and a, two point one inches or something in like thirty eight minutes or in the span of an hour. Uh, uh, I guess I'll ask Chief Whitehead first. What what's your responsibility when something like that happens? I know I was on pins and needles because we have run a news station. I was trying to figure out what we needed to do if we needed to break in live. If anybody was even listening, at, you know, ten or eleven o'clock at night on a Sunday yeah. night, but what were you guys going through at that point? You know, the main thing that we were facing were uh, we had a lot of flooding, um, standing water. Uh, we seemed to get a lot of cars that were getting stranded, you know, people driving out into bodies of water where it was too deep. The cars would stall, and now they're stranded. And so our officers were trying to get to those as quickly as possible. We had some flooding in residences and apartments. And, you know, quickly between us and the fire department, we were spread thin pretty pretty soon and and uh, but we were able to get to where we needed to be and uh, we got our streets and public works out to help us with street closures and uh, normally my responsibility in, in these types of situations is I come in with some of the city officials and we set up it's called an emergency operations center and that way we can start to monitor and prioritize these different events uh, the disasters the, the, the rock slides the, the different things can I, can I just say, can we call it a command center? That just mm-hmm. sounds cooler. Yeah, the that's what we, we do center. call it that. The command post. Yeah. Yeah. The emergency operations center. But the command center, that sounds like. No, yeah. that's that's our like that's that. our nickname for little, it. Yeah. A little, little diehard there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. so just to put it in perspective, we during that three hour where we were dealing with the floods, 
we had dispatch received about 600 phone calls. 600? And we had about 160 calls for service. So if you figure 80 calls of service an hour, I mean, those are actual calls that we've got to get out on. It was busy. It was a busy time. But I'll tell you what, this community, they just, man, you put a challenge in front of them and they just... What, what do we got to do? And people were out helping each other, and dare it was we, really cool to see. Dare we call it the Dixie Spirit? Yeah, there yeah, you go. The I'm Dixie about spirit, the I'm uh, about the Dixie Spirit for sure. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I think anybody that's been here any amount of time at all knows sure. what, knows what we're talking about when we say the uh, Dixie Spirit. Um, at, at, at what point? I mean, I guess it was pretty much all hands on deck, right? I mean, you use it basically every officer available had to had to help out in some fashion or another. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, we, we had their SWAT team come in. We had the bike patrol come in because they've got trucks. They're kind of, you know, we needed trucks to be able yeah. to go get to some of those areas. So I know that I just turned my radio on because it was raining pretty good, and I thought, I know these guys are getting, they're getting ran over out there. And so I just, you know, hey, what can I do? And, we, you know, people, people just jumped in and helped. So, yeah, it was kind of all hands on deck and just started for lack of a better word, putting out fires. Well, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, putting out floods <laughs> that, anyway, for sure. Floods, yeah. did, did how late did it run for the police for the police department? Was it uh, all night kind of situation? Or? It was probably two o'clock, around two one thirty two before it started. That's when down. we started slowing down with the with yeah. the uh, the command center. Yeah, as you like yeah. To, to call it, I guess. Yeah, but, I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was, so was the mayor up all night oh, with yeah. you too? We were all hanging out. Yeah. Well, kudos to you guys. That's incredible. Yeah. Thank you for your service. You bet. It's our pleasure. Uh, we've got uh, all four lines lit up. People want to talk to the, the police department. So if you guys are okay with it, let's go to the phone lines. Caller, you're on with Andy, with Tiffany, and with Chief Kyle Whitehead. Is this me? Yeah, that's you. Uh, first of all, congratulations, Chief Whitehead, on your new uh, on your new position. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a question concerning Black Lives Matter. What possessed you to kneel and basically pander to that crowd? And do you know what Black Lives Matter represents? What's their their mantra, their their goal? And I'll listen off the air. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, and I would be more than happy at any time to have you come in and meet with me and explain. It's kind of hard to give it justice over the air to, to explain my, my position because it is kind of a lengthy discussion. After my last radio interview, someone took me up on it, and I think it was a great discussion. But um, I, one of the things I think is important as the chief of police is I want to reach out to all members in our community. And while I realize sometimes groups are uh, – here, here's the, the best way I can describe it. Police officers, for example, get frustrated when we all get lumped into one category when a, a police officer makes a bad call and does something that they shouldn't. And I, when I was at this protest, there were a lot of our community members that were protesting out there that day. And as I was interacting with those individuals, I didn't see uh, Black Lives Matter protesters, per se. I saw our own citizens. They were speaking out against discrimination and racism, and that was kind of my perspective when I was interacting with that crowd. And so I've learned a lot since the, since the protest. I've had a lot of people come in and talk to me, um, concerned about what the kneeling meant or how, how it appeared. And so, and, and I appreciate that feedback because uh, I, I don't sit here and admit that I know everything about everybody. 
And it's important to, to hear each other's perspectives. And when we have concerns, let, let's discuss them. I like it. You know, you, you, you kind of took the, took the problem head on, it seemed like to me. And uh, some people aren't going to like your answer. Some people will be like, okay, that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, I like it, Chief Whitehead. Let's, let's keep going with the phone lines. Calling you on with Andy with Chief Whitehead. And, Tiffany, how are you? Hi. <clears throat> Good morning. Morning. Chief Whitehead. Good morning. <laughs> hey, congratulations. Your mother might be Dixie. I don't know, Whitehead, but I taught school with her for a long time, so the Whiteheads are good people. Thank you. Thank you. Say, I was just wondering, how do you interface with <clears throat> the Arizona policemen? Uh, you know, we just have this border right here. Do you interface with them? Can they come here and... and do things as we might have to do something across the border? How do you interface with them? Yeah, generally, we, do you? We, we don't generally do, like, operations and things together. Now, um, in the past, we, for example, a few years ago, we had a, a bank robbery and then a, a pursuit, and the, the individual took some hostages, and we did have some officers from Arizona come up and, and help us with that search once the once. That we got on, that got underway, and so we do have a good relationship with them. I don't know all of the Arizona officers as well as I would like, um, but again, if if we need them, we'll absolutely call on them, and vice versa. I've committed to. I know that they've got a sergeant, or I'm sorry, I believe it's Lieutenant Taylor over Mojave County, uh, or is the lieutenant assigned here? Um, I'm I'm friends with him, and and we communicate regularly. And I've I've committed to him. I've said, look, if you guys ever need our assistance. Please reach out, and we'll do all we can. You know, we we've got to be we've got to rely on each other. Sometimes we're we're a little bit out uh, out here on an island. The other thing um, is when it comes to interdiction and things, we do communicate back and forth. Sometimes a, a trooper in Arizona will call up our task force, for example, and say, "Hey, I just stopped a car. I couldn't uh, either a canine wasn't available then, uh, maybe they'll pass on some information that they saw some indications and and you know, the information flows the other way as well. And so we do try and uh, work well with, with these agencies. Tiffany, anything? Yeah, that's all I was going to say. I was going to, yeah, we do interdiction with them. And awesome. I've heard of a, a few great, really great instances where they've had to communicate because that car is moving. It's moving on the freeway. And so from agency to agency, they kind of, and if they, like Chief said, if they need a canine and, and there's not one available in Arizona, we're we're happy to oblige. And so... Just like other agencies in, in Utah, we work well with them. All right, let's take it. we got time for one more phone call. Call, you got a minute. What's on your mind? Well, I want to thank you people for being out there and trying to protect us. And people say the police have changed. No, it's the children that were not taught to respect the police department. And we have lost respect for our officers. You haven't changed. It's the people you have to work with. And I feel sorry for you because their attitudes are very, very different than when I grew up. And I want to thank all of you because you're putting your life on the line for us. And thank you very much. Thanks for the call. Awesome. Thanks for your support. Yeah, you're you're welcome. I couldn't have said that better myself. That was awesome. Great. Thank you, guys. And we really, I mean, you know, she's completely sincere, and so am I. Uh, you guys are serving. I mean, just something as simple as, that, you know, the floods we had the other night, and you guys are up into the middle of the night trying to make sure your citizens are safe. That's, that's phenomenal. Thank you so much. Well, it's important you guys know it's our honor to work for such a great community. So 
Awesome. And Chief Whitehead, Tiffany, we've already used it up. Thank you so much for coming in. I look forward to it. Kyle, if it's okay, I'd love to have you in every month. I know we uh, kind of set it up, but if you want to bring him in all the time, we'd love to have him. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Sometimes schedules get busy, but, uh, yeah, I'd love to come back. Thank you. Very good. Thanks, you guys. Hey.